0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Best Care Anywhere podcast. I am your host, Sucker Pierce, here with my faithful sidekick, Huckleberry Dumbbell. Uh, I'm your host, Anthony. With me, as always, is the lovely, the beautiful, the luxurious, the wanted in nine counties, Ethan Wilson. It's ten now. I had a very good phone call. Oh, no, I have not yet shared. I'm going to. I told you I was going to do this. Side note before we get any further into the things we're going to discuss. I get a video from Ethan the other day, which I unfortunately at the time did not watch with the audio turned up because I figured this is just a normal video of Ethan pulling the motor out of his car. No, I come to find out after Ethan resends it to me, it's Ethan pulling the motor out of his car while he is under an active tornado warning. And it's officially the most Kansas thing Ethan has sent me. You know so, the
1: worst thing about all of that, the, the the very worst thing, the sheer amount of dust. I, I mean, it felt like... You don't was... say. Yeah, yeah, seriously. I mean, they, you know, you think tornado and you think, oh, sharks, uh, but they don't tell you about the dust and the grit that gets in your eyes. I'm still flushing stuff out. If I were to get pulled so are over, you in... I'm sure the cop would think that I'm high Are you in
0: Oz that's... now? Did you get sucked away? Uh well, I'm not in Oz, but
1: I have made uh, very good friends with the Scarecrow.
0: Hmm. He's I will ask No more now. questions. Uh, well let's let's get a quick uh let's get a good, quick car update. I don't think we've gotten a car update in a while. How is the uh the no, what the fuck car did you get again? I almost said uh, K- Camaro, and then I almost said Camry, and I'm like <laughs> both of those are so wrong. Camaro is you more correct on, than pause? Camry. Can we can we 50 years from now what are you rebuilding there hank uh you know my i found uh in the farmer's garage i found a 98 toyota camry that i'm restoring
1: 50 years from now every 98 toyota camry on this planet will still be running better than whatever cars are being produced today. true so true uh no so what's what's the car update uh, the car update uh, for okay. the fans uh, out there. It uh, the car is a 1965 Chevrolet Impala. It's Impala. a four door sedan. Yeah, so Camaro was close. You know, Chevy. You you were there.
0: I got um, the. I think I got the C in Chevy in my mind, yeah. not the Impala part. But yeah, okay, 65 yeah. Impala. So uh,
1: as uh, as Red has just stated, I pulled the motor and transmission out finally. Um, I had to borrow a, or borrow a cherry picker to do so uh, from a dear friend of mine. And the you know it just so happened that it worked out that I got the mood to pick it out, and I started looking to the north, and I saw the clouds kind of turn sour and then turn that kind of green color. and I mean, shit, the engine was already on the chain at that point. You just kind of take a video for posterity's
0: sake and keep going. What else are you going to do? Did, did the engine on the cherry picker become a de facto weather rock? Um, for all of
1: three minutes, because I'm trying to reuse this engine and Murphy's Law <laughs> is a bitch, and I could just see that thing, you know, flying somewhere it shouldn't, oh, just
0: drop it on my I foot. Feel, but I feel like if the wind gets enough that the engine hanging from a chain is moving, you should already be gone. Like, <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, I'm a, I am a very large man, and honestly, I feel like, how do I say this? I feel like if I were ever that close to an active twister, I would just kind of jump to see if I would get any airtime.
0: Like, going to be ha- that guy in the disaster movie that's like, We're a safe distance from the tornado, taken out by a fucking billboard that's flying through the air. Like, you're going to get, uh yeah, L- low-key, fun fact, child Anthony was mortified, like, primal terror levels of terrified of tornadoes. Because, like... <laughs> what? <laughs> really? Yes, because it, someone let seven-year-old Anthony have access to the fucking weather channel and the fucking, you know, the, the, that... The show that the one meteorologist guy does that's just people who survived, you know, natural disasters and they're describing tornadoes in like the most terrifying terms, like an F4 tornado can throw a two by four through three feet of concrete wall. And it's like, what the fuck? How do you <laughs> Nope Like that, that and when like 10 year old me really understood what an atomic weapon was, like those two things mortify like primal terror. Like, oh, you just can't do fuck all against these things. Cool. Adult me is like, oh, you know, millennial cynicism. Yeah, let the tornado come. What the fuck? You know, okay. How is I this going to get worse?
1: <laughs> I still but, don't understand what an atomic weapon is. I have a vague notion.
0: Go but, watch Oppenheimer.
1: Um, oh, yeah, I need to. I really want to go see it. Although that, that's, that's, a, that's an upcoming
0: discussion. But
1: yeah, Yeah, yeah.
2: but so, I'm just going to say it.
1: Out. Yeah, and I'm just going
2: to say it before we move on. Uh, getting sucked into a tornado is, is skydiving for the poor hang on i'm writing that down for t-shirt purposes getting sucked
0: <laughs> into a tornado is skydiving for the poor we'll sell that that'll be a that'll be a buy one get one free with uh corn is my sleep paralysis demon yeah we're going to do a whole kansas line oh god oh no So, okay, engine's out. What's the next step then? Because it was seized, right? That's why you couldn't get it out before? Well, here's the thing. It's still
1: seized, but now it's out. So because it's seized, I can't remove the transmission from it. So I just said, okay, screw it. I'll pull the transmission out at the same time, which I probably should have done anyhow. So now it's out of the car, and I can work on it in the safety and comfort of my garage instead of the 100-degree heat and or tornadoes.
0: Nice, nice. And right now, there are three people listening to this podcast. Right now, for this part of the conversation, there's car. There's people who kind of know what you're talking about. They're like, I'm moderately interested. There's people that are like, I don't care. And then there's like one person who's a car guy like you who's going, Yes, yes, and writing down notes and critiquing everything you've said up to this point.
1: Uh, yeah, he, he I, and, <laughs> and to that one guy, you're absolutely right. I completely forgot that there were three bolts on the flex plate holding the motor to the <laughs> transmission, so I tried the first time, and I go, I took all the bell house and bolts off, why the fuck? And I probably broke stuff, because I'm a moron. That, that's what's wrong with it, there ain't no gas in it. Well, speaking of gas, let's talk about a different kind of fuel. How go your adventures in alcohol, uh, I almost said alcoholism, and that's, uh, that's <laughs> no. not it.
0: Uh, alcohol no. production. Uh... The beer, as we speak, as we're recording, is going to be bottled. It has to sit two hours in its jug with the priming sugar. Uh, Essentially, the beer fermented. It's ready to be bottled. You have to give the yeast a little bit of sugar to eat when they're in the bottle to produce CO2 to carbonate the beverage. If you give them too much sugar, they overcarbonate and you have produced what are uh, essentially glass 50 glass shrapnel bombs. Uh, So you need to be very precise when you're measuring out the sugar. And I wasn't there for that, so I can only hope it was done correctly. Uh, no, it's it's really, you can't, you almost can't fuck it up at the point we're at, so I'm not worried about it. Uh, yeah, uh, we have five gallons of fermented beer. We tasted it. it's flat. It was flat and warm, but it tasted like beer. And it tasted like decent beer, which means once it's cold and carbonated, it should be very good.
1: So. I genuinely did not know
0: that that was how... Uh, Beer became carbonated. They thought it was the same
1: like soda process, you know? There's
0: two ways to carbonate beer. You can introduce CO2 yourself, which is what you do when you put it into a keg, right? Or there's what's called natural carbonation, which is what we're doing. It's a little, natural carbonation is trickier because like I said, if you don't give the yeast enough sugar or the yeast colony died and there's not enough yeast per bottle, you won't get carbonation. Or if you put too much sugar, they overproduce CO2 and they don't just stop producing co2 when there's too much pressure they keep going until the sugar is gone so if you have more sugar than your bottle can hold co2 they'll explode but yeah uh it's if you if you know the amount of sugar you're putting in per gallons of liquid you're fine because there's there's a wide margin of error if you shoot for the middle so yeah it should be good we'll uh they go into bottles tonight two weeks from now we can drink it there's a wide margin of error if you shoot for the middle. That'll be on like. No, that's, stuff. but that's what I, but that's, tr- that's true. You can, if you, if you're not worried about how much carbonation, you just go aim for the midpoint of how much sugar to add and you have a, you have a buffer either way. If you're like, I want it to be super carbonated, so I'm going to redline it on the amount of sugar I add, then you're risking, well, did you measure correctly? Cause it, it only takes a couple grams too much to blow up your bottles. So. It's a, it, is a, it is both an art and a science. It's kind of like baking. There's things in baking that don't matter, and then there's things in baking where if you're doing it hardcore, you have a, a kitchen-grade food scale and are measuring to the ounce of dry ingredients so you get the right outcome. Uh, so Yeah, I, I see what you're driving at. But as for my... Per- that that's Beer's more my mom's thing. I'm not much of a beer drinker. I'm looking forward to more of the meads and the ciders, which luckily... My dad has a connection for honey. He'll sell it to me at uh, a wholesale price, so it's a little cheaper. Um, so I gotta pursue that line of acquiring ingredients, and I also have to uh, acquire some of my own brewing equipment uh, because I'm not going to be making five gallons of mead or cider at a time because that's, that's 25 wine bottles, standard wine bottles. I don't need that much of a mead. I'd rather make a gallon at a time and have four or five bottles and make multiple different types of stuff at a time. So, if I want, I'd rather try two or three recipes and have 20, 20 to 25 bottles of different stuff than try two or three recipes and have 150 bottles of stuff. So,
1: I really yeah. am gonna
0: leech gonna off you on your upcoming oh, supply
1: yes. because I can't wait.
0: Oh, yes. But anyway, so some stuff to discuss before we get to this episode, as if we haven't been discussing stuff already. Um, we need to talk about it because I sent you the article, and I, I don't want to say I was right because there really was no way to, really, to tell how it was going to go, but I'm not surprised at the outcome. Uh, again, because of our recording schedule, we are late to the party on this by a couple of days. Alan Alda's dog tags and boots. They sold at auction started it, I believe it was, they started at 10 K and they were sold together. I think Ethan, you said they're going to get up into the 50s, 60s, 70s. Uh, yeah. And I thought that's reasonable, but I guarantee you there's a fan out there that'll push it over hundred K, maybe even 150. I don't want to say I'm again, I don't want to say I'm right because you can't know, but that is exactly what happened. Uh, some super fan whose name and identity wasn't released, which, okay, that's fair. uh, they went up for auction, they sold at auction uh, for $125,000, which, yeah, I'm not surprised at all at that. Um, props to them, I hope they take good care of them. I, 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 can't, I can't imagine owning something that price. I, they're almost, I know that he paid $125,000 for them, but they're almost priceless. Like...
1: When you when you think about the historical significance of them because of the historical significance of mash, yeah, uh, and of course they're only going to appreciate value. Or yeah, I I think that's true. They're only mm-hmm. going to appreciate.
0: So mm-hmm. I, I I think especially if, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, especially since there do seem there does seem to be a good chunk of the younger generations that know what mash is and enjoy mash more more than I think people realize. I think. They can only appreciate and value. Like, for, for example, in another 50 to 100 years, only people who are super in the know for certain things are going to appreciate certain things. Like, for example, a first edition Mark Twain book is always going to be worth money, but it's only going to be worth money to an ever-shrinking group of people, right? Sure. Like, like, I like Mark Twain. I'm not rich enough or care enough to buy a first edition book of his that's going to happen with mash too at some point but i think because of streaming services and just how good mash is i think that that's going to kind of it's going to kind of float a little bit longer it's going to glide a little bit longer if that 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 trend line's going to flatten a little bit before it gets to the bottom so i think i think yeah they're they're only going to appreciate in value at least for the next probably 25 years
1: yeah and and just to you know, clear the air on something here you heard it here first, folks. when the inevitable re- match reboot happens we we aren't we aren't okay. That's we aren't. a
0: whole nother conversation I, I I have thought that's a whole dedicated episode where i okay, pulling the curtain back, I have thought about this. I don't know when I don't know if this is something we wait all the way till we've watched through the whole series, which honestly, we probably should so that. We all have enough to talk about, but I want to get a panel of like Mike, some of the other guests who are very passionate about MASH. I want to hash out. Could you remake MASH? Could you remake MASH today in the early 2000s? Whenever we want to set the timeline, could you remake it? Why or why not? And I think that is a that is a long form discussion for a much further down the road episode. But yeah,
2: that's a that's a tricky question. I can't wait to have it. One hundred twenty five thousand dollars. Crazy.
0: I will put the call out if there's anyone listening to this podcast who works for, you know, Fox or like a props warehouse. If anyone knows where all the surgical equipment from MASH is, I would I'd take out a loan to to buy a piece of surgical equipment. Like there's so much like I'd love I'd absolutely put a hemostat in a shadow box next to my uh, signed picture of Alan Alda on the wall. So, you make it happen. Leak the documents. Do it.
2: Attention all personnel. Colonel Potter would like to address the personnel personally.
0: Hey, folks, Anthony here, coming at you during the editing of this episode. Ethan and I had several points that we wanted to bring up with you, the audience, but each time we did, it just went on too long and was too rambly. So I decided I would do it in post and keep it a little shorter and to the point so we can get back to the episode as quickly as possible. First point of order is we wanted to thank you all for following us on the various social medias we have. That is by far one of the favorite parts of the podcast for us It's being able to see and interact with you guys uh, about the episodes and what your thoughts are and share them on the show. So thank you all for that very much. We would like to remind everyone where we are because uh, certain social media sites are constantly in a state of flux and change and strangeness. So we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube threads, and now brand new for the social justice warriors among you, we are on Tumblr. There is a surprisingly large MASH presence on uh, Tumblr, so we figured, why not? We'll get on over there. If you don't follow us on one of those and you want to, go ahead. I'm going to do my best, along with Ethan, to keep all the posts relatively consistent across all the platforms, so no no one platform is seeing more or less of us. Uh, Some platforms are quicker and easier to uh, post stuff and get it out there timely than others. For example, uh, Twitter and Instagram are pretty quick, followed by YouTube and Facebook. Tumblr's pretty easy. Threads is tricky because I can't do it on my computer. I have to do it on my phone, so it takes a little more legwork to get that. But follow us wherever. We want to give a special shout out to Camilo Ruiz on basically every platform because he has been shouting us out from the rooftops with five star reviews. So thank you. Uh, I hope I'm saying your name right. I, we appreciate that very, very much. The second thing that we wanted to talk to you about is we've been doing this podcast for a little over a year now. Uh, we have been talking about some ideas and thoughts about stuff we want to do. And we are excited to announce that we will be launching a Patreon for the podcast. Now we we talked about this at length, and I'm not. I'm going to try to keep it as short and to the point as possible here. We decided to start a Patreon. There are four tiers: a private, corporal, sergeant, and lieutenant tier for the time being, and those are one, three, five, and seven dollars a month, respectively. Why are we doing this? Number one, we want to we want to see if we can get the podcast to essentially fund itself. It costs a little bit of money each month to make the podcast happen. We would like to see if we can, bare minimum, hit the break-even point for that. In addition to that, we would like to have a little bit of a nest egg built up in the future that we can use for podcast-related activities. For example, we want to do some merch. More on that later. With some of the goofy ideas that we have come up with, we would like to have a little bit of uh, podcast savings set aside if, for example, there's an opportunity to attend an event where one of the remaining cast members is attending and go meet them and talk to them. We have been talking about going on a trip down to LA to go see the MASH film site. And that would require not only travel, but some equipment expense to, you know, actually make the most of it and be able to share something back on the podcast. So there's a lot of things we want to do, but as young, uh, you know, pay te- paycheck to paycheck people of the world we um we can't fund it all ourselves so we figured we'd see we'd see what the audience audience's interest would be in uh supporting the show in a more direct way if that does not interest you that is perfectly fine we don't know what to expect from this so we figured we'd try it if we are pleasantly surprised with support fantastic if we are unpleasantly surprised with hey uh, this podcast was free and now you're asking me to pay money for it. Yeah, no, I'm not interested. We're fine either way. It's something we wanted to try. We will not be offended in the slightest if you're not interested in supporting us monetarily. The level of support you guys have been giving us is perfectly fine. On that note, what can you expect from the Patreon? What perks come with it? As of right now, the only major perk you're going to get with the Patreon is being kind of our first resource to tap when we have thoughts, ideas, questions about uh things we want to do about the podcast for example we've been talking about doing a couple inserting a couple bonus episodes with movies uh that are mash related to kind of break up doing the doing the episodes uh, just to just to give us something a little different to talk about from time to time we we have one in the works that i'm gonna run by ethan and see if he's interested in doing but i'm not going to give it away just yet if and when we do merch it would probably be the first place we show off some of the some of the weird and wacky designs mash related designs that uh ethan is cooking up in his demented brain primarily the patreon is there for just general support plus a couple little extra easter eggs nothing we post to the patreon is going to be purely locked behind the patreon paywall anything we post or share on patreon questions about movies we want to watch as bonus episodes, questions about you know merch designs, all that will eventually be shared on the regular social media, but we would we would probably share it in a couple days in advance for the Patreon people as a extra little thank you. Links to the Patreon will be in the places links are normally put on this show, in the description, in the doodly doo underneath. You know the drill. If you choose to support, thank you very much. If you don't choose to support, thank you as well. Continue listening to this show sharing the show and interacting with us is always going to be the best way to show your love for the show finally the last thing that ethan and i wanted to address with you a few episodes ago during our season one recap we mentioned that jared would be stepping away from the podcast for a little bit it has been a little bit and i figured it would be wrong of us to not update you on that for an indefinite period of time going forward it will just be ethan and i on the podcast uh, Jared's got stuff going on in his world that he it, the podcast just is conflicting with. So it'll just be uh, Ethan and I for the indefinite period going forward. Hopefully that will change. If it does, we will let you know. In exchange for that, um, we are going to be reaching out to some more, uh, more guests. So it's not just constantly Ethan and I yammering about MASH. Because I know Ethan and I can get a little boring. With that said, that is everything that Ethan and I wanted to address with you. I know I'm the only one that's been talking, but Ethan is currently being a motorcycle boy up in Sturgis. And it, there wasn't going to be much time between his return and this podcast going up to uh, get he and I uh, on a recording to talk about it. So I took the liberty to hop in solo. But Ethan's on board with everything I said. With that being said, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, gripes, grievances, or complaints about any of the topics brought up in this little cutaway... Please feel free to reach out to us on social media. We- we- nothing to hide. We're not trying to, like, smoke and mirrors anybody. We will answer any questions we can, honestly, uh, to the best of our abilities, about Patreon merch, all that jazz. Uh, and we look forward to hearing from you on all that. With that being said, I will let you guys get back to the episode. Thanks for listening. Uh, Colonel
2: Potter is now finished with his message to the 4077.
0: It is time... For us to discuss this week's episode, can we quickly, we have to discuss, we're recording this a week early. Why are we recording this a week early, Ethan? Well, I can't believe it's already been a year, but I'm going back to Sturgis, South Dakota
1: for the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally.
0: Mm, You decided to go back.
2: Um, uh, That amalgamation of You are obligated to go back? It
0: is in your best asked. interest. It yes, is in your best interest to attend. Yeah. Yes. Yes. What what biker gang is threatening you?
1: Uh threat is not the word I would use. It's
0: Coerced. the truth
1: but it's not the word right. I would use. No, the truth of it is I just have some uh the group that went with me last year uh wanted to go again. They asked if I would join, so I had to come to anthony and say oh please pretty please will you move your schedule around for me and i want to so go see are.
0: pretty bicycles please uh, yeah,
1: yeah yeah so yeah i'm gonna record this uh, a bit early i'm gonna put baseball cars in my spokes and a little <laughs> oh, bell on the handlebars God. i'm gonna wear one of those propeller hats and cruise and down the strip
0: in you're gonna front get of the you're gonna get yeah. beat up anyway yeah so yeah Recording this one early, but enough chat about motorcycles and that nonsense. It is time for oh. season two, episode four, for the good of the outfit. Aired October sixth, nineteen seventy-three, directed by Jackie Cooper, who again I have coined as the the director of season two. He records more, or records he directs more than half of the episodes for the second season. This is his sixth mash of thirteen, so we're halfway through his uh, repertoire already. Um, previous episodes he's done this season are Divided We Stand and Radar's Report. The writer is Jerry Mayer, which I had forgotten. This is his second of two mashes he wrote for, uh, the previous one being The Ringbanger, which, weirdly, knowing that now, kind of makes sense for this yeah. episode. It's, oh, yeah. it's very... It's very... Problem with the army. Two guy, the two, Our two main guys are gonna... Circum- not circumvent, but kind of step on the toes a little bit of the problem. Fight so, the system. Fighting the system. So we open on surgery. And I, I have to say this because I watched this episode twice. And I noticed it immediately. Remember a few episodes ago where we, we made fun of the fact that we hear Margaret say, We need more sponges here! Like of four course. times. Yes. So they looped the same ADR track of OR noise through this entire scene. You'll hear Margaret say, um, Colonel, when you get a chance, can you come here and need some more lap sponges like four or five times? But the other weird thing about it is, as the characters are talking back and forth, you hear themselves murmuring in the background because they are using that same ADR loop of them all in surgery. So Frank, Frank will make a comment to Hawkeye and then it uh, shot reverse shots to Hawkeye. And while Hawkeye is berating Frank, you hear Frank like, Oh, give me that IV there. It's like, it's like it it doesn't take me out, but now that I now that I noticed it, I must I must curse you all with the knowledge as well.
1: You know, so, the uh, the the hero thing to do would just to be to bear that knowledge with grace and sacrifice and shield yeah, us. From yeah
0: yeah, it. yeah, it's it's my bear to cross, I know. But yep. You know what? What better way to torment the audience but than, than by sharing it with them? Now they will never be able to watch another OR scene without listening intently to what's going on in the background. Um, but yeah, so we're in surgery. We, the doctors come to realize, like, wait, all the people we're operating on are Korean. Korean civilians. Uh, to which Frank points out, well, if you'd been reading the casualty reports, uh, you would have learned that the village of Taidong was shelled last, last night. Which, okay, yeah, unfortunately. Shit happens. Civilian are inadvertently and in worst case scenarios inadvertently, or not sorry not inadvertently, intentionally targeted Uh, there's a lot, there's a whole a whole rabbit hole of conversation we could go down about uh, total war and uh, is targeting the civilian population a a reasonable act to bring a war to a quicker end? Cough. it's almost August, Cough. Oppenheimer, cough, strategic bombing of Germany, but
2: <laughs> yeah. we're not sh-
0: cough. Sherman's march to the sea, cough. Um, but yeah, cough. The firebombing of Tokyo. I'm sorry, what are we talking about again? Um, yeah, that the, again. All those topics I just listed are full of nuance, and you had to be theirs and other things. A conversation for another episode that I would honestly love to do because my God, there's such interesting topics of conversation that come up with those, but The Village of Taidong was shelled, uh, but and this is where, it, when I first saw this episode, I was a little confused, but I guess it makes sense that the doctors pull shrapnel out of a patient are kind of looking at the shrapnel like, hang on, come look at this, and they realize it's American shrapnel. At first I'm like, how can you tell a chunk of metal is one nations or another's? But I guess if you're pulling enough crap out of people for long enough, you get to know the difference between, oh, this is a large caliber machine gun round, or this is a small caliber rifle round, or this is fragments from a U.S. Army hand grenade, or this is fragments from a, a Chinese hand grenade. Like, I, it makes sense to me that you would be able to eventually tell the difference, right? Like, I would, yeah. I would equate it, I would equate it for, to, for in Ethan terms, like, if I, if I dump a bucket of nuts and bolts on the ground, you, at a glance, could probably sort them by size and type by eye fairly well. Like, you may not know the exact... You you may not know exactly what metals they're made from or what they necessarily are for, but you can go, okay, these are roughly all the same size. This is roughly all the same size. These are all, you know, uh, stainless steel. These are all, you know, like, you could sort them out pretty well. So I, I, I don't think it's unreasonable for the doctors to be able to identify American munitions from
2: enemy munitions by eye. But, yeah. So, surgery scene over, Hawkeye and Henry
0: are in Henry's office, he is washing his golf balls, which I love. Um, and Hawkeye is real coming to the realization that the village of Taidong was shelled by an American military artillery unit. So it was a, a case of friendly, well, not friendly fire, it was military on civilian, but it was still a case of our artillery shot at the wrong people and ended up killing a bunch of civilians and wounding a bunch of civilians. And reasonably, Hawkeye is not thrilled with that, as I don't think anyone should be. Um, Trapper comes in with the shrapnel fragments, saying that, yep, uh, 100%, these are American shell fragments. Uh, Checked with a guy in uh, munitions. Uh, They're American as apple pie and napalm. And I'll throw this out there. Blue on blue... Uh, a term for friendly fire, happens in warfare all the time. Uh, Unfortunately, it's just... Call it the law of averages, call it, you know, whatever you want to call it, it's just going to happen, and unfortunately, it's just part of war, as shitty as that is. But I think it's a particularly poignant episode given that this was aired in 1973 right as we were starting the process of getting out of vietnam because uh in the vietnam korea was easy enough to determine bad guy from good guy but vietnam they were such an insurgent force that there are more than a few stories of villages being you know bombed to the ground because well there's a vc the vc are using that village as a staging point you can't if (laughs) you can't determine a VC from a civilian most of the time. Because that's their whole thing is disguising themselves in the civilian population. And I'm sure by this point in the Vietnam War there were more than a few news stories saying, you know, you know, the, the Air Force leveled this village with an APOM strike looking for the VC, and it's like, oh boy, that's not a good look, US military. But uh
1: well this yeah. is kind of like the the diet form of that then because that's an interesting context. But the the form that we're presented is so oh, you know it wasn't deliberate it was more of an accident it was a uh,
0: I mean uh, accident or I mean accident or deliberate and it is it is more of an accident 100% as it's framed in the episode but if you look at it from hawkeye's point of view it doesn't matter he wants the army to take responsibility one way yeah because yeah. and in a perfect completely utopian society, yeah, the army 100% should be like, oh, our bad, and own up to it. But as we're going to see, that's not how the real world tends to work. Right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, even, even Henry, the first thing out of Henry's mouth is, uh, I want to remind you just how thrilled the army is about people who rock the boat. Um, which, again, wh- this is a question that I'm going to bring up a couple times this discussion. Henry is... That might seem like like a callous comment from Henry, but I think it's a justified comment. I don't think Hawkeye and Trapper are wrong for wanting to pursue this, but I think they are naive to the fact that the military has a lot of power. Again, right, wrong, or indifferent. And they're going to use that authority to get an outcome they want. Which, again, right, wrong, or indifferent, it's the way it's going to be. And we saw that a little bit with uh, Radar's report. We talked about it with um, a Section 8 discharge. Uh, Alan Arbus, praise be unto him as Sidney Friedman, uh, told Klinger, look, if I give you a Section 8 discharge, I have to put on this paper why. And the only thing I can put is you're a transvestite and homosexual because you're wearing dresses. They will kick you out for that, but they're also going to stick it in your permanent record and it will follow you through your civilian life. And you have to deal with that. And Klinger rightfully is like, hell no. And it's like, yeah, because that would basically nuke your social standing no matter what. Same thing we're going to see here is the army has a narrative they want to push for this. Be damned anyone else's opinion. And I think we're going to see a couple instances where people are trying to warn Hawkeye and Trapper, like, hey, if there's a chance this goes very, very wrong for you. Again, not saying it's right. it just saying it is what it is. But. Uh, my favorite line from this, though, is uh, we're not we're we're not really Army. We're 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 little a as opposed to big A. And Henry just looks at him and goes, yeah, well, there are you file that report. The Army's going to put your big A and your little a in a sling. So, but, um, thank you. Henry, Henry brings much-needed much levity to certain points of this episode. But um, Yeah, using his jerry-rigged uh, ball washer, which
1: is honestly very ingenuitive of him. And yes. Also, I, I, I know it's completely out of place, but I'm just, I'm just noticing the
0: uh-huh. helicopter model
1: <laughs> over Trapper's
0: shoulder. You just made this podcast... 25 minutes longer. Alright, yes. so, the helicopter in the back. <laughs> no, this is something that's point- that gets pointed out everywhere you look on this episode. Oh, wait, really? helicopter. Yes, the helicopter is not time period appropriate, oh, obviously. I, I didn't know it's that, I just thought it was close. cool. Oh, well, <laughs> whoops, you kicked the <laughs> hornet's nest. Um, oh, no! So we've talked about this before, the the at the time in the 50s, helicopter use in warfare was very new. There were some prototypes at the end of World War Two, but they didn't see com- frontline combat service necessarily. Um, the idea of transporting wounded via helicopter was kind of a. Kind of a test thing at the beginning of the Korean War, and it was found to be very useful, hence why you saw uh, evac helicopters prominently in Vietnam, because they were. They took the idea and ran with it, which is why you got, you know, the Air Cavalry doing those insane, absolutely. Beyond. Reasonable for a human being to be expected to do helicopter drops to get wounded out side note, I have met and talked to an Air Cav veteran from the Vietnam War, and he is both. The craziest person, one of the craziest people I've met, but also you can tell by some of the stories that he has told. God love him, because my God, that man has done and seen some shit. But, yeah. yeah. Anyway, the helicopter that's hanging in Henry's office is not period appropriate. It is a um, a Huey. It's an early model Huey helicopter. The Hueys were developed in the late 1950s and not produced by the Army until 1959. Uh, and it did not exist during the Korean War. So this was very much a model that they got from a model shop in you know do while they were filming as opposed to uh the correct a more correct version would have been either the bell 47 or the um uh, i don't know where it's where i had it pulled up that it was uh, a bell h13 sue or a bell 47 so i think i think bell 47 bell h13 are the same helicopter i think the h13 and the 47 denote civilian model or military model whatever it's it's the wrong helicopter moving on (laughs) but it's pretty but it's pretty don't get me started that's another another thing on the list of things that anthony would love to do but can't afford uh right below owning his own home and brewing mead is uh model making and model railroading but you know when i'm a rich billionaire uh you know Side note, someone won a billion dollars on Friday or, or on Thursday or Wednesday or whenever the freaking Powerball poll was. Can you imagine that?
2: Uh,
1: no,
0: no. Just suddenly no having a billion dollars. And well, yeah, after tax, it's going to be like 750 million, but still. What yeah, the but hell? why? <laughs> you know, why, I, I always
1: see that comment on there and I always go, wow, why is that the first place your mind goes? That is still an obscene amount of money to be pulled out of nowhere. And I. I I don't know. I'm poor. I've always been poor. The concept of a billion
0: dollars is so foreign to me. I, you know. Hey, I'm, I'm gonna tell you something. A lot of the people who win that amount of money, they're still poor. Yeah, because yeah. they don't they don't stop and realize they just have a billion dollars now and just do dumb shit with it, and then in another in five or ten years they are poor again. Yeah, I. You know, that, I that's a, what I've. Seen. We'll have to we'll have to talk about it on a podcast on an episode that's a little more pertinent to this. But I have a whole like you know, break the glass, pull the folder out of the shadow box, read instructions plan for if I ever win that much money somehow. But anyway.
1: Step one, uh, tell no
0: one. Except you're a lawyer and an accountant. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, if the podcast ever just randomly stops for a long period of time, one of us hit the lottery. Or died. But, you know, we'll let you know.
1: One of those is more likely than the other.
0: So... Radar comes in, starts helping the process forms, and he's like, "Oh, it's very brave of you two to do this. Uh, I've never known anyone to do the right thing in a one of the first officers in the army that I've ever seen do want to do the right thing, except for that colonel that reported the PX kickbacks. You know, Private Johnson. Oh no, that is, basically, that is a good bit. Basically implying that, hey, um, <laughs> he reported something less serious than you guys are, and he got booted all the way to the bottom of the uh." Rank ladder. Good yeah. luck.
1: So uh what 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 are I know this is just a passing joke, so I only
0: expect a passing explanation, but what is a PX kickback? I, I can uh, do you remember what a PX is? Alright, we're okay, everyone we're testing Ethan's mash uh knowledge retainment. Is we that the uh, PX's before? Is
1: that the on base like general store, whatever you want to call
0: yes! it? Yes. Yes, it stands for post exchange. The post ah. being the base, the exchange being Yeah, it's like trading post translated into military speak. I'm learning. Kickbacks implying that there was some sort of embezzlement happening. Ah. And it got reported. Yeah, he's learning. It's great. So yeah, basically this colonel reported that, hey, a bunch of these officers are uh, fudging the system to skim money off the top. And he got, apparently it ran deep enough that he just got... Hit with the banish stick down to... Uh, he, got, he got the next closest thing to being snapped out of existence by Thanos in the U.S. military. He just got demoted all the way to private. Terrifying. Anyway, uh, I will say on this note, during the transition scene where we see Hawkeye and Trapper walking through the compound, we see a soldier being shaved and groomed and pampered by a group of nurses. That is Jeff Mac- Maxwell. I couldn't pinpoint a scene he was in in 5 o'clock Charlie... But that is Jeff Maxwell, uh, one of the regular uh, background actors. We're going to not background. He eventually has a named speaking role as um, Private Igor. But uh, since I couldn't find him in Five O'Clock, Charlie, he's prominently displayed here. That is who I'm talking about when I say Private Igor or Jeff Maxwell, uh, co-host of the uh, MASH Matters podcast. Go check them out. They're very awesome. Uh, he, for Ethan's reference. Remember way back when I said one of the podcasts went out to Malibu Creek for the 50th anniversary and were raising money yeah, to... Yeah, yeah, he, That podcast. Him. Ah. So, actor from the show does podcast about MASH. Go listen. Um, we then get uh, Hawkeye and Trapper trying to navigate U.S. Army forms. Uh... Hawkeye notes that there's multiple choice disasters on one and on the other. You must substitute World War II for Korean police action. Uh, we then get, you love him, you hate him, Frank Burns. Uh, I love the little exchange between them and Frank. Pigpen pen, brothel, here sir, yo! <laughs> i no, laughed so not... hard. <laughs> uh, especially
1: because of the pair of women's heels he- uh, hanging from the chimney. Or yes. I guess uh, actually the what do you want to call that? Stovepipe.
0: Well, it's not the stovepipe. I thought you it know. Was, but I I'm don't think I ever it. noticed the hot pink high heels. How did I not notice those? Oh, yeah, they're just there. Wow. No. Um, just in case. Also, this is a weird angle. I'm realizing also this is a weird angle of the swamp. We're looking at the swamp from from Frank's corner across to Trapper's corner because if you look at where the still is Hawkeye's bed would be further around to the to the right yeah I I only just realized that's the angle we're looking so we're looking at Trapper's bed and Hawkeye's sitting next to Trapper's bed that's interesting I don't think I ever realized that's the angle we were looking at but anyway um this I like I like this scene and I know I've kept keep coming back to this every few episodes This scene makes it seem more like Frank is a tent mate that they don't 100% get along with, but he's not their mortal enemy. Like, he's not the worst human being in existence, but he's definitely one that they take every opportunity to bother. Like, Frank seems much more like one of the guys... Again, overall in the earlier seasons than he does in the later seasons, he appears. But they, I don't sense a lot of malice between Frank and Hawkeye and Trapper in this episode. There's still definitely a poking fun at Frank, but he's still much more normal than he's going to be portrayed later. Just maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how, if I'm explaining that well, but... For those who know where Frank Burns ends up, he, he's still very much, he's much more like Charles would be in this episode, disinterested and annoyed with Hawkeye and Trapper, as opposed to an outright enemy that he becomes later. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Ethan? Because I know, again, you're looking at this from your, your only experience with Frank is what we have seen thus far, as opposed to knowing future things.
2: Well, what, what you do you know think my of the criteria? Interac-
0: Oh god, yeah, he broke the still. He's a piece of shit. Ign- ignoring the fact that he broke a still, anyone can make a mistake. No, he always- that he uh, he's staying the fuck
1: away from the still. So I love him. You know, he's uh, he's my best friend. No, uh, I but I I don't know what to add that you haven't already said because you said it so well. He's uh, you know it, it's they're much more casual. I'd even go as far as to say friendly because Hawkeye and Trapper are. You know they're they're giving him the business. They're they're shucking his corn a little bit, but it, it's it's very friendly in nature.
0: Yeah, they. Mm-hmm. they it's almost. I like love I love that Hawkeye. That Trapper is trying to convince Hawkeye. Hey, get Frank's help on this because the more the more people that sign this and push this, the better it's going to look. And while they're doing that, Frank's like, "I caught you." At what? At what? Making one of your obscene gestures. Oh yeah, which one? Well, you know the one that. Oh, <laughs> he
2: doesn't <laughs> want to do. <laughs>
0: But they do try to get Frank involved, and this is where I, I will ask you. There's several questions I want to ask you this episode because yes. I will be honest. Some of the audience have mentioned they really want to get your opinion, like they are interested in what you say about this episode as a first time viewer. So I'm, fucking, I've, I have some fucking have why? Some, because you, you, you're, you're able, Ethan. You have to understand, and as the series, as we get further and further into the series, you're gonna get uh, put on the witness stand a lot more because and this is why I was excited to do this podcast, you are able to do something that me and a bunch of the people who have li- watched this show can't go back and do, and that's have a first reaction to a lot of this stuff. And there are much more intense episodes in the future to get your first reaction on, but an episode like this is still interesting because it's. I have, pre- I have, going into this episode of the podcast, preconceived notions about stuff I'm going to ask you about, but I feel like, and I feel like I've lost the opportunity to do it with you and Jared previously, to really grill you on some stuff that I, I was scared that if I did it too too soon, too early in the in the recording of this podcast, I would have scared you guys off. But now, <laughs> you're here. You're stuck. You, you're you committed. So now yes. I'm going to bother you a little more. Oh My boy. question to you, so Hawkeye and Trapper go to Frank. They ask Frank for his help, and he says no. And he argues with him, but He's also, But and he gives the reason of not wanting to knock any team he's, he's on. How does that come across to you? Does that come across as Frank is so pro-America, so xenophobic that he doesn't care? Or do you think that he's scared because he, he's patriotic and loves the military because he's blindly patriotic? But does there is there also an element of he's also intelligent enough to know that that it could get him in hot water? Like what? what how do you view Frank's saying no? Do you think it's just Frank being a overly patriotic piece of crap? Or do you think it's coming from a place of I'm worried about what will happen to me? I, I know you got if you how do you how do you interpret that on your first watch through? rationalize this as frank
1: having drank the kool-aid if you will of the american army he he has watched and believed every training propaganda film out there and i think in his mind there is they are objectively right no matter what so (laughs) because of that he's not going to knock it and to that end i think it's also very easy for him to take that Well, it's okay because America is morally correct no matter what stance because Hawkeye and Trapper are the ones asking him to do the favor because they do this whole next bit, which is hilarious in my opinion of all the pranks they've pulled on him. You know, peanut butter and his stethoscope, which I don't even know how you would do. Uh, And (laughs) this autographed photo of my mother, which – Frank, dad wasn't your real father. (laughs) Love mom, <laughs> so. Oh no! It, it, I don't even think it's so much that uh, he's being very xenophobic in in this. I just think he is really bought into the propaganda that has been fed to him, and more than that, he does he does not have the affection to Hawkeye and Trapper that it seems in this scene Hawkeye and Trapper have towards him.
2: Hmm. Uh,
0: so, but do do you think? Yes, Frank is... Okay, you think Frank is being kind of blindly patriotic. America is morally right no matter what. Do you think Frank has a sense that what happened is wrong and is just sticking by the military's side to save his own face? Or do you think he is so blind that he
2: doesn't consider what happened a big deal? Or somewhere in between? That's, That's a difficult question. I think... All right, I'll put I'll put it to you like this. From what I have seen of
1: uh Frank Burns thus far is that he's very self-serving. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a matter of morality with him. I think it's that he cannot see how helping Hawkeye and Trapper in this moment will uh further his Does, own interests. It's
0: it's it's riskier for him to help them than it is to not. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I I I think I'm in agreement with you there. I think I think if you were to hear Frank's inner monologue, which is why I'm, I'm going to spoil something for you. We never get a dear someone letter from Frank, which there are there, when we get to that point, we'll discuss it. There's reasons why they didn't. And the writers and Larry Linville explain why they didn't. But I would have been fascinated to hear a dear, a dear Louise letter from Frank. I really would have. Um, I think it would have been very interesting. But I also understand why they didn't, because it's just a whole episode of Frank, which, dear God, um, I think Frank knows it's morally wrong. But I think you're right in that he he knows there's a greater chance that it's going to do him harm than good to go in with Hawkeye and Trapper on this. So he doesn't. Yeah. And, and I think that even comes through in the way that he's like, I don't remember operating on anyone. anyway. He's just trying to, like, get Trapper and Hawkeye to drop it. Because I think I, the, less, the less he thinks about it, the better he's going to feel. I, I heard that line, and I,
1: I guess I've watched enough MASH so that my head just now auto-feels jokes because I wholeheartedly expected the next line out of Hawkeye's mouth to, I don't remember operating on anyone, to be, well, that explains why you're so bad at it, or something along
2: those lines. But uh. no, no, look at that. Uh, yeah. I, so, yeah. Okay. And, again, that
0: sets up s- future questions I'm going to ask you. I so can't good. wait. So, jump to the next couple days. Uh, we get Henry sleeping in his tent. Radar comes to disturb him because someone very important is here to see him. How do you know he's important, Radar? Well, he has a briefcase. Which, there you go. Good on you, Radar. Um, we come to learn that this is Major Stoner uh played by a gentleman named frank Aletter. uh he starred previously in some episodes of the twilight zone 12 o'clock high he is one of the many ensemble characters from the movie torah 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 excellent film go watch it uh if you have watched it go watch it again it's a great film uh are you familiar with torah 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 ethan i'm not this is the 19, late 60s, early 70s Pearl Harbor film that, oh, yeah, it is. And the way they filmed it, and this is why I like it so much. They had two film crews. They had an all-American film crew filming the American part of the movie. And they hired, had a Japanese crew and Japanese cast do the Japanese Navy perspective. That way, there wasn't a biased view one way or the other you got it's it's very much a historic almost i don't want to say historical reenactment but it's a it's in that vein of war movie that came out of that time where it's very historically the conversations and characters in the movie are very historically accurate dramatized a little bit for cinema but essentially the timeline of events and the characters discussions are it's almost what I'm trying to—it's th- almost a docudrama more than it is a a movie. It's more of a it's more of a dramatized dramatized retelling of events. Whereas the Michael Bay Pearl Harbor movie is a farce and it should be burned and never seen by human eyes again. Go watch. Tor, I don't recognize so good having done anything. I'm gonna I'm gonna have
1: to. I tell you what is Michael Bay? Yeah, but a Pearl Harbor movie in the '60s that
0: because i remember um
1: yeah you know that really we old, might have uh, to
0: have a tora 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 watch episode as i would be episode. down Cause, do you remember that really old
1: buster keaton uh train film the general yes yeah be, i remember one of the reasons that it was like it didn't make any money when it first came out was because the civil war was still quote a little too close so it kind of Oh, was no. critically panned for opening up Old Wounds, and I would have expected that out of a movie about Pearl Harbor from the 60s, but to hear that it's got... Oh, uh,
0: yeah, we're going to have to watch that. Let me see if I can look. Yeah, Toratora Tor- Tor- Tor was 1970. Well, still, so so that's... Th- yeah, yeah, still. That's, third, that's 29 years. Um, <laughs> I would put Torah, tora, tora, A Bridge Too Far, The Longest Day... So that's what I think uh, uh, Gung-Ho, they're, they're factual events told in a slightly dramatized way, but they're still very It has a big ensemble cast because they point out like all the little players. I'd say the closest war movie that has come to that style of war movie in recent memory is the Midway movie from 2019, oh, where yeah. it's it's this ensemble cast that's that's showing off a bunch of individuals who are actually there as opposed to something like Saving Private Ryan that is a very good realistic war movie but Private Ryan wasn't a real person Tom Hanks's character wasn't a real person per se you know what I mean? Band of Brothers too. Band of Brothers is another one i put in the Pacific I would put in that category. That's the kind of war stuff I like that's very true to life and based off of true real people and telling it accurately. Hence why *Inglorious Bastards, great movie, and I love it. Hans Landa and uh, Christoph Waltz is fantastic. But it's like, it's not, that's not a war movie to me. It's a movie that takes place in war. It's very different. But anyway, that's a whole, whole nother side episode, uh, bonus episode, non-MASH episode. But moving on. So Major Stoner is here. He is uh, from the Adjutant General's office, essentially the investigative branch of the army, right? The Yeah. You have, the, you have the judge advocate generals, you have, and you know, the Naval Criminal Investigative Service is eventually a thing, you have the military
2: police, it's just, it's, yeah, it's the, it's the rules and lawyer division of the U.S. Army, essentially. I uh, hate him.
1: Yeah. I'm not even going to make a major stoner joke now because he's a lawyer.
0: I mean, he's not a lawyer, he's, he's a detective, essentially, he's an army detective. He's going he's gonna to put all, get all the paperwork, get all the facts to push an investigation. Uh, well, in that case, I know a major stoner. God damn it. And yep. There it is. Yep. Keep going. Never mind. Folks, you want to guess how much money Ethan's going to have to pay me to edit that out? All right. Anyway, so major stoner comes, tells Henry, I'm here to discuss the Taidong matter. It's highly classified, which... A younger me would have taken as, oh, it's classified because they're trying to cover it up. No, it's classified because it's a sensitive issue that you don't, I understand it being classified. You don't want the enemy t- to have information that, oh, look, the U.S. Army accidentally shelled a civilian population. We can use that as prop- propaganda. I understand why it's classified, right? It, it, it's a protective measure. But... I think younger me saw that as, oh, he's trying to cover it up. No, it's, it's classified because it's a sensitive issue. Uh, he says, you know, you and the, you and the corporal have to be read in on it, and we've learned that uh, Radar and Henry have classified clearance because they cleared each other, which I don't think that's how classified works, but okay. Right. Close enough. Uh, Margaret and Frank are interrogating Radar as to the whereabouts of Colonel Blake and... The major and major Stoner. Um, do you think Radar is being dumb on purpose, or is he really being kind of, is he being dumb on purpose in the scene, or is he really truly misunderstanding what Margaret and Frank are asking him? Um, if he was,
1: uh, if he was capable of being smart enough and uh, good enough with his words to be dumb on purpose, he would not be a virgin. He's oh he's no,
2: he's just
0: he's just. He's trying his best, but they're throwing him off. Like for like, for example, when he asks, "I wonder," when Margaret asks, "I wonder where he's from," and he starts telling him that the Colonel is from Bloomington, Illinois, and that he's from Atumwa. Is that genuinely him thinking that they were asking where Henry is from, or is that him stalling? You know, keeping them from bugging Henry, M- Major Stoner, and Hawkeye. Like, it, could it be a little of both, or do you think Ra- Radar's just stupid? I, do I you think, do, are, are you agreeing with Tramp, Trapper that Radar has the IQ of a houseplant? Discuss. Mm, no,
1: because uh, <laughs> I've never known a telepathic houseplant, uh, except for go. the one that's in my room, and he's kind of a dick anyway. So uh, oh, okay. I, I, I think, well, I don't know. I, just, I like him as a naive little wide-eyed 18-year-old boy of the core.
2: All righty.
0: All right, so we are in post-op. Hawkeye and Ginger are doing the rounds on the patients. Henry and Major Stoner come in. Uh, Hawkeye... This is a thing Hawkeye does, and we're going to see it done a bunch of different ways in a bunch of different scenarios, some of which are justified, some of which we come to find out are not. Hawkeye is immediately defensive when Stoner comes in because he sees Stoner as... He sees Stoner as a barrier, not an aid, which in this moment, I think is a little irresponsible of Hawkeye. It, I, I look at it like this. And again, I'm going to make a scouting analogy, and I'm sorry to everyone who doesn't understand scouting analogies, but it, it's how I can articulate it in the best way possible. When a, when a scout is ready to go for their Eagle Scout rank, there's a lot of steps they have to do. Ethan and I have done these steps, so Ethan will understand. One of the first things you do is after you've selected your Eagle Scout service project and do the project plan, you go to your troop committee and you present the project like you would at a board of directors, you know, to your CEO at a job, to your boss. If you were put in charge of a project, you would present it to a team and the team would give you feedback and then you'd go and make those changes and go proceed on the project, right? That's essentially what the Scout has to do. I always tell the scouts, the committee's job isn't to say no, it's to say yes, or say yes, but fix this, this and this. No one in the Eagle Scout process is going to say no, unless you have screwed up so basically if, if they were going to say no, someone who is helping you would have caught it long before that and given you time to fix it. We. That's where I'm kind of annoyed at Hawkeye. I understand his misgivings and his hesitancy to trust Major Stoner. But I think blindly seeing Major Stoner as someone who's trying to blockade you at first is a little
2: irresponsible. With that being said, Hawkeye points out that these, you know, and Major Stoner is doing
0: the thing that I I always hear in crime shows and I always see in legal in news articles, the alleged shelling of Tai Tai Dong, you know, the alleged murderer, the alleged bank robber. That's how our justice system is geared. You're innocent until proven guilty, or you should at least be perceived as innocent until
2: proven guilty. I understand where people are like, oh, the alleged mass shooter. Like, yes, but in order
0: for the justice system to work, you can't just be calling him you can't perceive someone's guilt before trial because then that could lead to a mistrial. Like, that's a huge thing. My mom works in the justice system. That's something that they contend with is because of how prevalent social media is and how stories can be shared. It's harder to get people to perceive innocence in a courtroom, if especially if they're on a jury, because they may have already heard about the case before they're called to jury selection. It's a whole thing. and It was a whole thing at one of the jury uh, summons I had. There is literally a 10-minute conversation between the judge and one of the jurors up for selection where he's like do you do you understand the concept of innocence until proven guilty in a court of law yes your honor i do all right with that in mind do you believe that the defendant there is guilty of the crime of the charges that have been put before him by the state of california yes sir i do okay i'm gonna ask you again do you believe in innocence until proven good like he, they went back for four times and finally the judge said Uh, The judge is is ruling to dismiss juror eight. And it's like, this guy couldn't understand that he was doing the very thing he argued he understood not to do. It was crazy. Well, the court of
1: public opinion is a hell of a thing.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, it sometimes works against him. So yes, it's annoying that Major Stone is like, oh, allegedly they were shelved, but he's doing the legal thing that again, I've had experiences with lawyers. I had an experience with unfortunately, a friend of my dad's, who was my lawyer in a case, and he said something to me that just immediately made me not like lawyers. And I think that's everyone's thing, is they don't care about lawyers until a lawyer makes very blatant what, how their job works and what they expect you to do because of that. And it's like, Ugh, gross. But that's a story for another time. But the question I'm going to ask you, and I kind of waffled on before getting to this point. Major Stoner points out to, you know, Henry even tells Hawkeye, Hawkeye, you're being unreasonable. And even Major Stoner even says, hold on, Captain, I want to help you. I think it's courageous of you to come forward and share this information, and I want to see that justice is done. At this point, with no future knowledge of
2: what happens in the episode, do you think Major Stoner is being sincere? Do you think Major Stoner is actually telling Hawkeye, I I think this
0: is a worthy thing for you to report? I want to help see that it gets investigated properly. And if uh, it's just and if it turns out that the U.S. Army was in the wrong, I want to see that it's made right. Do you think Stoner is being genuine?
1: I think Stoner is being genuine to... Yes, I think he's being genuine. I think his idea of genuine and Hawkeye's idea of genuine are two different things. Because Hawkeye and Trapper's principles are not just righting wrongs, but taking accountability. And Mm -hmm. I think Stoner's uh, is willing to take uh, or willing to right the wrong. But I don't think they would see eye to eye
2: on making it, you know, public prevalent knowledge, that sort of thing. Okay, I'm going to disagree. I think Stoner is 100% Jenny. I think... I think
0: he sees that wrong has been done. I think he sees that Hawkeye, based on the forms and evidence, Hawkeye and Trapper, which, by the way, at this point, Trapper's not involved. Um, (laughs) He started being involved, and now he's just not present for the rest of this, except for one scene later, which is... Well, two scenes later, technically, but whatever. Um, he was very involved and now he's not because Major Stoner is treating it like Hawkeye's the only person that signed the form when I mean, he didn't. But, you know, that's a conversation for about mm, a season and three quarters from now. Um, I think Major Stoner is genuine. I think or at least he starts out genuine. I think he wants not only to right the wrong, but I do think based on the, the way he tells Hawkeye, it was courageous of him to come forward. I think he starts and takes the evidence and the files and all that from Hawkeye with the intent to submit them and see that justice is justice is done for Taidong and the army takes accountability. I think that is the case. I would love to hear the audience's opinion on this. Any questions I ask, Ethan, please respond. Audience, I would love to know your opinion as well. I think Stoner is sincere now. I think there is evidence to show that he is coerced to think differently later, but we'll get to that. Here is my counter to your point, because I think you have a good
1: point, but I, I, this is kind of what gets me. Do you think that Stoner would have made Major if he was devoted to
0: making uh, the army accountable when they were wrong? If he's as old as he looks and is a Major, I would say yes. Because I think there is there is something that will get discussed eventually in future episodes that is happening at this time that kind of changes the perception of things. In World War Two, right was right and wrong was wrong. There are mo- there are cases in World War Two of U.S. soldiers committing war crimes, being prosecuted for it. And yeah, the army didn't shout it from the rooft- rooftops that it happened, but they didn't necessarily completely hide it either. It was known, but it wasn't
2: front page news when it happened. I think I think because
0: of the time frame, Major Stoner would have been doing that sort of stuff. End of World War II type stuff. And again, I'm assuming Major Stoner is a veteran. Based on his how old he looks and his rank, I would imagine he's been in the army long enough to have seen the end of World War II. That's a complete guess and you know, from my own brain, there's nothing in the show that supports that. I think the U.S. military in the time of World War II definitely had some shady stuff go on in it, but there was a willingness to address it and deal with it because there was World War II was being very much framed and was a good versus evil conflict, argued, especially in the European theater. By the t- by the end of World War II, it was very well known that the Nazis are purely evil. We are we are justified in waging this war, if only to end that tyranny. I think in that mindset of the military, I think Major Stoner could easily be promoted for pointing out wrongs or investigating shadiness and cleaning up the army's image in that way. But now it's the '50s, and you add in the Red Scare and McCarthyism and propaganda. Hmm. I I I now it's. Now you add that frank layer of don't knock the team you're on thing to it because now now it's what is our image as opposed to our geopolitical enemy's image. And accidentally shelling a bunch of civilians and owning up to it is going to make us look bad and give the enemy something to hit us with propaganda-wise. So... I, I could I, I can make I think there's an argument there that Stoner is morally wanting to do the right thing, but I think there is evidence that I'll point out later that I think he gets sucked into that system similarly to how Frankie is already. But well, that's again there's 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 a moment where I think you can tell Stoner's uh.
2: Motives and goals changed, but okay, yeah. So. Major Stoner meets Major Frank and Margaret. Um,
0: Margaret urges Frank to let Stoner know that he was also on duty and wants to sign the report now. Uh, to which Major Stone says, well, you were a fewer ranking surgeon. and you absolutely should have signed it, but unfortunately, I already have the paperwork. It's done. I'm submitting it. It's too late. The boat has sailed. And Margaret even looks at, and Margaret gets angry at Hawkeye and Trapper for not letting him sign, but they had begged Frank to sign. And this is another one of those little moments where Frank and Margaret aren't on the same page. Uh, it's happened a couple times where Margaret looks at Frank like, Frank, you didn't sign the paperwork. So to me, that tells us that Margaret is on maybe not necessarily on Hawkeye and Trapper's side, but if you were to line people up based on do they think the shelling of Taidong was wrong, or do they, I don't want to say think it's right, but do they think it shouldn't be investigated? I think Margaret's firmly on the same side of the coin as Hawkeye and Trapper, even though she's not necessarily teaming up with them, but she's she thinks it's the right thing to do, even though she may not like Hawkeye and Trapper personally. Is, do you think that's a fair assessment? Yes, I, okay. I, I do i i i love I love how Frank at the ends like well, how do you how am I supposed to know what the decent thing is? But,
2: yeah, the look
0: Margaret gives him yeah, we then fast forward about a week, two weeks. uh everyone's eating in the mess tent. Frank decides he's gonna submit his own report to Dong because you know he's now been convinced it's the right thing to do, plus I'm pretty sure he heard the comment that uh there might be a commendation in it for Hawkeye, so you know again. Like you said earlier, the the scales have now tipped to where it's potentially beneficial to Frank to uh, to do that. Um, Hawkeye mentions that Major Stoner hasn't come to the phone in a week and a half. Uh, Trapper then realizes they made the made the papers. Uh, Taidong was shelled as a result of enemy artillery attack. Oh, no. Uh, Not good. That's not the outcome that's supposed to happen. Uh... So they realize they've been played. We get the commercial break and they get Radar to call Major Stoner as saying that Colonel Blake is trying to contact him. And when Major Stoner picks up, Hawkeye informs him it is not Colonel Blake. It is Sucker Pierce and his partner, Huckleberry Dumbbell. Very much implying that you played us for fools. What the hell? I think this is where you could make an argument that Stoner got want to say threatened, he got coerced into acting a certain way. He, I don't, he definitely is, at the end of this phone call, Hawkeye says that Major Stoner's the Korean distributor for Crapola, which I think is correct. I think he's absolutely BSing and stalling for time with Hawkeye here. But remember what, I don't think he's lying at the beginning of the call when he said, I was in Okinawa, and I came back and I I think he's lying when he's surprised about the stars and stripes article. Yeah. Let me uh, let me let me put let me, here's what I think happened. And again, there's nothing in the episode to prove this. But here's why I say Je- Major Stoner was sincere at the beginning and is not sincere now. I think Major Stoner was sincere, believed it was wrong, wanted to help. Submitted the report, submitted the evidence and got told by a superior, "Hey buddy, you're going to stop dealing with this. Why don't you go to Okinawa and rest and recreate for a week and I'll take care of this. Don't worry about tai Dong anymore. We got this. I think he got the vaguely threatening message of, yeah, we see your report. We're going we're gonna to take care of it. You disappear for a week. Enjoy yourself. When you come back, don't worry about it. That's what I think happened. And I think he's stuck between knowing Hawkeye and Trapper expect him to do the right thing and the very obvious hint he may have gotten from a superior saying, hey, drop it. That's where the awkwardness in this phone call is coming from. He knows the army put out the Stars and Stripes article because Stars and Stripes is a military newspaper. I think he knows that Tidong being covered up, but he also knows it would be wrong to... Not. I think he's stuck between the rock and the hard place. I think that's where the awkwardness of this phone call comes from. And I think talking to Hawkeye, he says he's going to sort it out and get to the bottom of it, which I think he genuinely does. And again, I'll explain my evidence for why I think that is in a little bit. I think he. Handed over the evidence, handed over the folder of reports and casualties, stuff and x-rays. Got told they're there, Major. We'll take care of it now. Shut up and go to R and R in Okinawa for a week. Come back, shut up and do your job. Got a call from Hawkeye saying, "Hey, you told me you were going to do the right thing," and he's like, "Oh, yeah, I'm. I'm going to figure out what happened, and I will expand upon that line of thinking when General Clayton gets here because I think there's information General Clayton gives that supports my theory, but. What do you think? Do you think Stoner was a piece of shit the whole time? Where are you at?
1: I'm going to stand by my opinion of him earlier. I don't think he was a piece of shit the whole time. I think he was genuinely going to focus on making sure the village was taken care of. But I can see the surprise in his face as, oh my gosh, I didn't think you were going to follow up on this. Uh, I didn't think you
2: were actually going to try and make the U.S. Army take accountability for it. Mm -hmm. All right. So that
0: phone call ends. Hawkeye is less than thrilled and wants some insurance. So he writes his father, who has connections to a congressman from Maine, to maybe get a little bit of congressional pressure to uh, see that the Army takes responsibility. To which Radar informs Hawkeye his mail is being held at Division HQ. And that sends Hawkeye into a bit of a rage. He goes and yells at Henry. He's not. He is. The army has covertly placed him under house arrest. He can't leave base, and they are holding his letters. Um. Uh, Hawkeye really breaks the arm off of uh Henry's kimono doll. Uh, I I wish I could be
1: as even headed as Henry. Cause uh, this is. I think if my memory serves the first time Henry and uh, Hawkeye have really like gotten into it like this, like really full out Hawkeye's pissed and Henry is could just, Hey, you broke my doll. Just right back down to normal. I, I wish I could be like this man.
0: And, and Henry points out the army is rebuilding Dong. They're going to get a brand new city hall with flushing toilets they're going to have a new shopping center. They're going to have the first soft ice cream stand in all of Southeast Asia. And even
2: Hawkeye's like, that's wonderful. That's compensation. But where is the admission of guilt? And even Henry points out, the army is fixing the, the mess
0: they made. You've got one out of the two things you want. You're batting 500. Let it go. Which Hold on. Hawkeye. Yes, I, th- I think
1: <laughs> I am about 90 percent certain having paused the scene that McLean Stevenson is just holding a page from the script
0: for that letter. Like, pause it and look oh, at uh, it. 100 percent. He might be. <laughs> it might just be a script for that scene. But either way, I think that's funny anyway. But yeah. I also love that you can clearly see where Henry breaks the other arm of the kimono doll because he's gripping it in his fist. But, uh, Radar comes in and mentions General Clayton's coming up here to discuss the matter. Hawkeye is not thrilled. Henry's not thrilled. And General Clayton arrives. Now, this is where things
2: get interesting. I love that they play this little jingle for General Clayton anytime he gets here, too. It's kind of fun. Um,. So, Henry's a little bit in the bag in this scene. Uh, Sherry and ginger ale for the general. Um, Hawkeye and Trapper, and again, Trapper's back involved now, yay. Hooray for Wayne Rogers. They're They're explaining to General Clayton what the army's doing is not right.
0: Like, yes, they're rebuilding. Yes, they're fixing the solution. But they need to admit that they're the ones that screwed up and shelled the village. Clayton says it was a North Korean attack. Is he saying that because he's, he knows it, that that is a lie? Or do you think that's what he has been told? Because you have to remember, General Clayton is not a combat infantry general. He is the general for the medical corps, to my understanding. Do you think General Clayton is saying that because it's the information he received from reports? Or is he saying that because he knows the truth and was told to say this? Because it's going to
2: affect... I think, I think he knows the truth. I, I think that that's the company line.
1: I, I, I've bullshit enough people you, you, to know when I'm saying something that is not true and Clayton, yeah, he
0: knows. See, that's where I... This is where I'm not sure. I'm not going to solidly say one way or the other. I'm not sure. I think it could be either way. But I'm going to... I don't know. I well, don't do, know. You wanna, and, do you want to really dive deep into this? Because I'll, I'll, I'll go full hog into this universe let's, right let's, now. Let's go full... Hang on. Let's go full hog in a minute. Because I think if we're going to go full hog, let's just get to the end of it. Okay. We have... He says it was in all the papers. That's what leads me to believe he got a report and saw it in Stars and Stripes and is going with that story. I
2: don't think he was in the loop for, the con- for this conspiracy, quote-unquote. But we'll talk about it. Uh, they say, we gave you all the evidence. We
0: gave it to Major Stoner. He, asked, General Clayton's like, Stoner, Stoner. Oh, yeah, he's, he's doing a bang-up job for Comster Pack in Honolulu. And I then
1: can, I can tell that that's a threat, a very veiled threat, but I need you to explain it to me.
0: Come, Sir Pat, Commander Services Pacific. It's essentially the logistics division of the Pacific Theater. And Alex, again, let me run through this and I'm going to give you what I think happened and then you can uh, tell me how I'm wrong.
2: All right. I'm but, sorry.
0: So he mentions that Major Stoner got shipped off to, you know, out of the Korean Theater to Honolulu uh, into a desk. He got shunted into a desk job,
2: basically. Here's what I think happened. Major Stoner was sincere. He submitted the paperwork,
0: got told, hey, stop asking questions about this. We're going to take care of it. Forget it happened. Go on a one week R&R to Okinawa. He came back, got pressured by Hawkeye. I think Stoner followed up and was like, hey, um, we we have evidence that says we didn't shell or we are the ones that shelled him. Maybe we should uh, re relook at this. And then they booted him out of the Korean theater so he can't make waves anymore. I don't think General Clayton was a hundred percent in the loop as to what's going on. I think in Henry's office he's starting to realize the full picture, which is why we get the hay. I think this this is where he realizes. Huh. They submitted evidence to ICOR. ICOR bumped the guy that was investigating it and is now censoring these guys from saying any more. I see what's happening. I'm going to give these guys some advice before they push this any further. And he gives his, "Hey, you're in a relatively safe position as medical doctors. The army can make your life worse. They obviously don't want this investigated. You should stop. You should quit while you're ahead." Cuz Being a boat rocker, and agitator is going to get, that's going to get spread around about you in the military. And they even look at him like, is that a threat? And he says, I'm getting pressure from above about this. He's being told, because remember, he's a one-star general. There's generals above him. He's getting pressured from above. That's why I think General Clayton is not part of this conspiracy. I think he is old enough and long-serving enough in the military to know that there is a point where you have to decide again, right, wrong, or indifferent. Are you willing to put your life and not life literally, but your livelihood and welfare on the line to this extent? And I think he's telling him, I'm not, he's not saying what they're doing is wrong, but he's saying there can and will be consequences if you keep pushing this. I don't, I think Stoner at first was genuine, got scared into not being genuine tried to double down and got bumped as far away from Tai Dong as they could put him without just completely discharging him. And I think Clayton is trying. I think Clayton's not pure in his actions, but I think he's like, look, dude, guys, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying you need to really think about what you're going to do, because the army has more power than you do in this situation. It takes Margaret and Frank Having additional copies of the evidence and being two more people in this know that makes Clayton go, all right, I'll submit it and back it as a general. They can't ignore that. The army will have to take its lumps. I think he doesn't want to make the situation worse, but if there's two more higher ranking officers saying it, I think he realizes that is enough that the army isn't gonna fight it anymore. I don't know. I don't think Clayton is evil. I think he is, I don't think he's playing both sides. I think he thinks Hawkeye and Trapper are morally justified, but he is also streetwise, quote unquote, for the army enough to know that at the end of the day, if the army doesn't take responsibility, yeah, that's shitty. But is making the army taking take responsibility worth the buckets of shit that are going to get dumped on you? is what he's trying to impart on Hawkeye and Trapper, which I think he thinks it's the right thing to do, but I also think he has built a rapport with Hawkeye and Trapper to the point that he does not want to see them get the book slammed in their face. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. That's I have I have watched this episode more times than I can count, and I always come away thinking differently about it, and now watching it with a fine-tooth comb, I think... Clayton and Stoner got chewed up in the machine along with Hawkeye and Trapper. Just Stoner and Hawke- Stoner and uh, Clayton can ride it out a little bit better because they're a little bit higher ranking than the captains, and their regular army not drafted doctors. With that being said, uh, would Ethan like to blow the doors open on the U.S. Army's conspiracy in this episode?
1: Listen to me, I don't have much time. In all fairness, you and I agree in a lot of points. Um, I think that Hawkeye and Radar have built uh, up enough of a rapport with the general that he has some affection for them. I mean, really in the tone, uh, you know, fatherly advice, et cetera, et cetera. I think he likes them in his own way. However, we have both been in enough organizations of one type or another to know... (laughs) that even at the bottom of the top, you are still at the top. Mm -hmm. I think just because he may be the lowest status character among his little ring of generals and other, you know, top army men, he's in the loop. It is my opinion that he knows what's going on. He knows the truth. He probably didn't give the order to bury the truth. He probably had no heart in that. But he's
0: just playing along. He's he's filling his role. That's fair. I think I think you are right in saying Clayton sees enough of the picture to to have known that Taedong was a military oh, a U.S. Uh, mistake, not an enemy shell. I think you. I think that is where I would see that he had to have known that based and, on where he sits in the power level, power ranking, essentially.
1: And to your credit, I, you, you did sway me because I, when I first watched this episode, uh, I thought uh, you could be on a front line was not a, hey, don't rock the boat. It was more of a, hey, rock the boat and this will happen. I, th- I thought it was much more of a threat than, you know,
0: kind of a come to Jesus saying. I don't think Clayton would... I don't think Clayton would be the one to sign those orders. That's, I think what he's saying is, look, if you make yourselves a big enough of a big enough of a problem, the army will respond in kind. I don't think he's saying I will. I'm saying he's saying the pap, the the wheels of bureaucracy of the army will turn a certain way. That it's not going to be any one person saying "fuck these two doctors." It's going to be the way the system works is going to. For example, ah, we need to rotate doctors through units. Uh, uh these two these two are agitators, anti the military. Yeah, we'll send them to the aid station at the front over this guy who's uh professional and doesn't make you know, doesn't isn't on our radars or right. anything. I don't think it would be a malicious act of fuck you two guys, we hope you die and bury the evidence with you. It's more of a hmm you guys are kind of pieces of shit. All right. I I think it's It's definitely scummy, but I don't think it's like Soviet Russia styles of. You know, we're going to disappear you to the front lines, never to be heard from. Yeah, it's definitely and talk on Trapper, definitely read it as a threat, which again, I don't think it is. I think it's a warning more than it is a threat. But to to that end, it's still
1: important to remember that when, you know, Deus ex hot lips and Frank come around. With their, you know, big stack of evidence, he still just kind of shrugs it off. Uh, oh, even the army has to take his lumps in. Clearly, he has the power to get that information out in the paper, or page one, as you know, Hawkeye suggests, that he would not be,
2: that the general would not himself be labeled an agitator or boat rocker. He, he's higher up than he's letting on.
0: And again, maybe, and it could be part of the fact that I'm not understanding what Clayton's role is. I just assumed he was, I don't know if he's a one-star general of I-Corps itself, or if he is specifically the uh, medical core part, but I don't know. And I think the fact that we're able to interpret it slightly differently is a credit to the writing of the show. But I,
2: I don't know. I, I don't think General Clayton is the, um, again, to, to draw
0: a parallel to, a, to another show, I don't think General Clayton is, have, have you seen Avatar The Last Airbender, Ethan? Yes. You know, the, the, the scary Earth Kingdom dude who's like secretly running the government in season
2: two? Yes. I don't think he's that guy. I don't think, I don't think
0: General Clayton is Long Fang. He's not secretly subverting, being like, mm, these. I'm going to take these doctor's information and bury it away in a file cabinet somewhere and threaten them with frontline duty if they don't shut up. I don't think he's doing that. He's not the system. He's a product of it. He's a product of the system. And he's trying to, he's doing what Major Stoner did, but he's safer to do it where he's like, hey, I think you guys, I, I'm telling you, if you keep, the army is doing, it's, the army is making it right in the only way the army knows how. If you keep trying to get more out of the army, they're going to get uh, irritated with you. Just quit while you're ahead. I think, I don't think General Clinton's right in doing that, but I think he has enough experience in the military to know you have to take what victories you can. And the fact that the army is pouring resources into rebuilding Taidong to them is enough of a admission of guilt without overtly admitting guilt. It may not be right, but I think Clayton is trying to persuade them to see, like, look, this is the best the army is going to do. And if you keep bugging them, it's only you're only. Making yourselves a nuisance to a power that is beyond. you. So, yeah, I don't think he is the system, but he is definitely a product of it and is trying to make it less of a burden on the hospital, but I don't know. I'm curious what the audience says about this. I really so am like, do you think major stoner and Clayton are both it, part of the conspiracy or do you think they are products and victims of it as well? I would say major stoner is more of a victim than Clayton is, but that's again, do you, or, or do you think major stoner was brought in and then whisked away so that he couldn't be, was him being whisked away part of his plan or not part of it. I don't know. I'm curious to see what the audience says, especially since we're going to get future episodes that kind of play with, hey, this is what's going to happen. You can't change it no matter what you feel, however you feel about it. Uh, some of the episodes that come to mind are uh, Are You Now, Margaret, Gorilla My Dreams, and a couple other ones. But uh, yeah. So Margaret and Frank come in. They have evidence. That sways General Clayton to pursue and try to because that's the thing. Even Hawkeye and Trapper say, well, I got a hand it to you, General. You, you hid the evidence. You buried the guy that knew about the evidence. And now uh, if we push this, you're going to take away our briefing privileges. I think that's how Hawkeye and Trapper are interpreting. I think Hawkeye and Trapper are reading it the same way you are, where Clayton is threatening them. I think Clayton is just trying to save their asses. Maybe not in the best way possible, but I think he is trying to be like, guys, Please just do your time as doctors and get rotated out and go home. Don't make this worse than it has to be. Again, not right, but I can see where he's trying to be as democratic as he can. But yeah, Frank and Margaret basically, unintentionally saved the day. Hooray. Glory be to Frank and Margaret. Uh, we get the bumper scene Radar reads the letter from Hawkeye's dad saying that the congressman was uh, arrested for influence peddling, which, eh, Congress never change congress um and then we're out i
1: i don't agree with that change
0: change now please change now anyone under 50 2024 um i'm serious please stop so am i did you see mitch mcconnell freeze for a minute and a half during a press conference (laughs) he just congressman.exe failed to start like oh no
1: well, you got to take the still frame of all of his Secret Service aides around him, the looks on their faces, and you can tell What's this happening? has happened What's before.
0: Happening? Oh, no.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. Someone reboot <laughs> him.
0: Someone reboot him. You take her. Oh. He's
1: mine. I, I oh, love no. that scene.
0: So, uh, yeah, that was for the good of the outfit. I'm glad that we delved deep into that one because that was, that was fun. I'm, I'm happy about this.
1: Um, and and I, I agree with you, because I want to circle back to something you said. I, I would agree with you when you say I think that being able to interpret it is, uh, speaks to the quality writing. And I I just want to point that out myself. I, I think it takes really good writing to leave something ambiguous without the audience getting frustrated.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: It, it's, it spurs conversation without me making feel like an absolute moron. I, and I, I think there this is, is just a...
0: Go ahead. And I think they expand on this, because there is a future episode, uh, specifically the one is Guerrilla My Dreams, where our, we side with Trapper and Hawkeye in this episode, because they prove that yes, this is American shrapnel in Korean civilians, we shelled the Koreans, we want to make it right. In Guerrilla My Dreams, there's a similar moral thing where hey, this person is a wounded combatant. Now that they're in our hospital, they are not. The politics go out the door and we want to side with Hawkeye and Trapper or or Hawkeye and BJ and Margaret and all of them. But the show does something very interesting where they show us the audience stuff and events that that our protagonists do not see. And I love it because it gives us information. It's like a murder mystery novel where we, the reader, have information that the characters in the story don't. And it makes her a very interesting dilemma as an audience member in that episode. But that is so many seasons away. I can't wait to get to it. But anyway, so any other thoughts on the episode in general, Ethan?
2: Uh, no,
1: no, none that spring to mind. Mm. What would you rate this episode? I liked this episode. I liked it a lot more on the rewatch. Mm. Um, really, really good jokes, good storyline. I've already praised the writing. I'm going to give this one a solid 4.3. 4.3. All right.
0: All right. Um, I'm not going to lie. My rating actually went up after discussing it. I'm, I'm, I have fallen in love a lot more with this episode post our discussion. I think it's, mm. It's surprisingly well done. I think it's similar. It's a it's like the next step up from the ring banger of addressing something that's not good in the military system. Military system, and the way they address responsibility for unintentional wrongdoing is is a good step up from the, for that. Um, I, I I really like I like it more than I did an hour and a half ago. Let's put it that way. because it's just yeah, it just. Being able to again, the joy of doing the podcast, being able to bounce ideas that I have about this episode off of another person who has seen it, very beneficial to coming to certain decisions, so. I have we have talked much longer than I intended to uh, about this, and I'm actually we need to wrap this up fairly quickly because there are things I need to go do Fair enough. But very quickly, I do want to run through our audience's thoughts on this. Um, I'm going to start with our very first Tumblr uh, rating uh, from Charles Hawk 4077. He rates it a five. Season two in general is his most favorite season. So, five out of five from our first Tumblr uh, reviewer. Chad Smith gives it a 3.8 out of five. Good performance from Herd Voland. Lots of great Hawkeye Trapper Frank scenes. Uh, the laugh track over the discussions of friendly fire shelling and wounded civilians was a little hard to take, which the the writers and actors said that one of the hardest things to overcome is that the uh the. Studio or not the studio, the. Uh, the the. Network wanted a laugh track in the show, and it ruins some moments, I believe in the DVDs and maybe even on Hulu, you can choose to turn the laugh track off. Um. Yeah, and I know that there's people who say laugh. there's a, arg- not argument, there's a discussion, do you watch them laugh track on, laugh track off? Let us know, do you watch it laugh track on or laugh track off? Um, the laugh track does go away as you get further into the show, though. Uh, Mike Jameson says, four out of five, another strong season two episode that uh, reflected issues being dealt with regarding the trust and authority, patriotism and surveillance, all while dropping in hilarious MASH one-liners. Uh, MASH again reflecting it's uh, it's times, and in some ways, unfortunately, ours, the season two win streak continues. I did forget to mention, Henry has some great little one-liners, uh, toward the end of the episode. Uh, they're getting a brand new temple, this has never even been braided. in. Love it. You forgot your driver! You forgot your driver! Uh, Donator says 4.25, love the look at friendly fire and war and the control of information for patriotic, quote-unquote, reasons. Uh... Also an early sign of Margaret and Frank's morals being at odds. And Chief Smash Forever says 4.5 out of 5. uh, Just watched last week. Still a great episode. Love Henry selling the first ice cream stand in Southeast Asia. Hawkeye and Trapper not giving up and then in the end loving Frank for uh, uh, helping them is also a great end to the episode. Excited for Ethan's thoughts on this one. We hope Ethan's thoughts were to your liking. Um, My thoughts
1: aren't even to my liking. What are you talking about?
0: I won't be able to pull up the exact names because Instagram on the web browser sucks. Uh, We got ratings of five, four, and three from some people who responded to the Instagram story. And I just, I can't pull your names up right now. So I apologize, Uh, but thank you for sharing your thoughts. So yeah, that is uh, for the good of the outfit. Next up is, I'll be honest, we've had a lot of good episodes for the first few of season two. This is the first one that I'm kind of like, Okay, we'll watch it. Uh, Dr. Pierce and Mr. Hyde. But uh, we will we look forward to hearing your thoughts and ratings for that, so keep your eyes open on the various social medias for that post. Uh, Also, keep an eye on the various social medias. I'm going to be trying to put out little snippets and other stuff that are a little more shareable than a full hour, hour and a half long episode, so keep your eyes open for that. Um, As we said earlier, if the best and most amazing thing you can do to help us is to share, comment, discuss with us... uh, on the social media. And if by some insane chance you are interested in uh, supporting us further links to our Patreon will be uh, in the various descriptions and places below this video slash podcast episode. Merch forthcoming in the moderate to near future, hopefully. As always, no matter what, thank you guys for your support. As Ethan usually says, it is mind-boggling to me that there are people that care about our opinions on this show and are willing to listen to us for, oh, an hour to two hours. So thank you for your support. We appreciate it very much. Uh, As always, let us know what you think about anything we've discussed, and we look forward to chatting with you in the future. Is there anything else, Ethan? Any thoughts from Kansas to share?
1: The corn
0: beckons me. And with that, thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.
2: The time
1: has come for us to say sayonara My heart will awe.